listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is a show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 292. Mark, where are we? We are at NAEP, North America Prospect Expo. I just want to give a big shout out to Caterpillar for help sponsoring our podcast, Pavilion, to Appian and Infosys for making sure that we all have caffeine. This is one of our favorite conferences in the world, and I'm just very happy that NAEP allowed us to come. For the first time, we set up a podcast, Pavilion, and not only do we record a bunch of episodes with OGGN crews, but we recorded episodes with other podcasters like David Gibson. (laughs) And it's just been a great time. So thank you, everybody that made this possible. This has been great. All right. So we've got reviews, Mark. Well, actually, we have one. I think we save the rest for the other shows, but I believe this is a five-star. I will assume it's a five-star. I wanted to reach out and express my appreciation for your amazing podcast on the oil and gas industry. Your in-depth knowledge and expertise on the subject matter is truly impressive, and your ability to explain complex concepts in a clear and concise manner is truly admirable. I also came across one podcast from Jordan Peterson with Stephen Coonan, which touches the topics around energy and climate change. I believe you should not only listen to this podcast, but you should also invite Dr. Stephen on one of your shows. Again, keep up the great work, and I look forward to many more episodes to come. Regards, Ashen. Hey, Ashen, if you have a connection with Dr. Stephen, connect us, because I would love to talk to him and see if you want to come on one of our shows, so I appreciate that. That might be a good for the balance point. Well, yeah, it might be a real good for the balance point. (laughs) Before we go further, I forgot to mention this. If you want to leave a review, like Paige has rattled off, just go to the podcast show notes, and you should be able to click on a link if you want to try to remember it. It is lovethepodcast.com forward slash OGTW. All right, let's get into the news stories. BP CEO to slow down the renewables push as returns lag. So we've talked about this on other shows. We talked about how ExxonMobil and Chevron are pulling ahead of their competitors, Shell and BP, predominantly because they decided to refocus their capital on the hydrocarbon industry, not the renewable industry. So, you know, here's Bernard Looney basically having to answer to shareholders and say, look, we put a lot of money into renewables. And once again, audience, no hate mail. I love renewables. We're talking about just pure business here. And the fact that they've put so much money in renewable energy has caused them to lose shareholder value, has caused their profits to be much less than their competitors like Exxon and Chevron. And so he's basically coming out and saying, look, we're going to back off on on pushing this much money in renewables because it doesn't help our shareholders, nor does it help our employees. And quite frankly, it's not really driving the type of results that we want it with the environment. So I think this is really cool that he was able to come out and own this and say, look, we tried this, it's not working, we hear you shareholders, we hear you investors, and so we're going to change our approach. Now, a lot of people out there, especially in social, I've had a conniption fit around this saying BP is basically greenwashing and they just tried the renewable stuff to fool people and they're not going to help the renewable movement. You have to read this. He's not saying they're going to stop investing in renewables. He's saying he's going to turn it down. He's going to back off, which is the right business move, I think, right now. Shell, if you're listening, you might want to follow suit pretty soon. (laughs) All right. So the next one is natural gas prices across Southern California going way up. Imagine that. Hey, my Cali brothers and sisters, let me tell you what happens when you start demonizing fossil fuels, hydrocarbons, crude oil, natural gas. When you cut 
the ability for your own producers to pull it off the ground underneath your feet and you decide to buy Russian oil and gas, this is what happens. And not only is the cost of natural gas going up for things like running your stove and your heaters, but a lot of California's electricity is produced by natural gas. So the cost of natural gas is going up is also increasing the cost of electricity. In a time when, which by the way, you may not know this, California is one of the few states in the U.S. that has really good hydropower, but their water levels have been too low up until just recently. I, f- I feel like I did know that. Yeah, so Lake Mead is finally filling up after all the floods oh, they had. finally. And then with all the snowfall they have this summer, it'll actually fill up as more. But because the water flow has been so low in California, their hydro plants are running below capacity. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, they're not going to change their politics. Unfortunately, the residents of California are the ones that are going to suffer the most. And then even, unfortunately, the residents of California that are going to suffer the most are the poor people. Right. So, you're seeing some crazy stuff going on. You're looking at them wanting to cap prices, which just means that at some point in the future, there'll be a tax to actually have to pay those caps back. They're wanting to negotiate their long-term natural gas supply contracts. I tell you what, state of California, in this market right now, you're not going to be able to renegotiate the rates that you agreed upon. Right. And they're looking at taking taxpayer money and helping to dump into a fund to reduce customer impacts. So basically helping customers pay their electric bill. California, you don't have any money to spend on this. Yeah. So this is this it's is not good. Unfortunately, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And right. All that we can hope for is that some common sense prevails and they realize they should start producing their own hydrocarbons, which are literally right underneath their feet. Okay. 25 states hit Biden admin with lawsuit over climate action regarding Americans' retirement savings. Yeah, so let me break this down rather easily. (laughs) There's a lot of funds, investment funds out there that our nation's people, because of their employers, are depending on to retire. Think about your 401k. Right. Now, whether you manage your 401k or not, you have funds in that 401k and other investment portfolios that have fund managers. Those fund managers' job, literally their legal duty, is to get as big a return as they can because that money goes to people when they retire so they can live. Right. What's happened is the Biden administration has changed a lot of laws and regulations, which in this article says it targets American retirement savings. It doesn't actually specifically target What it does do, though, is cause the returns on investment oil and gas to be less than what they should be, Mm. which is then going to hurt the people that have retirement funds that these fund managers are investing in. Now, here's where it gets weird, Paige. So if you're personally investing in stuff like me, I've had one of the best investment years ever because of what the stocks have returned for the oil and gas companies. Mm. Unfortunately, people that are retiring now in the future aren't going to be able to realize that benefit. And actually, their retirement savings are going to be less. So what do you do when you think the government is doing something they shouldn't do? You sue. sue them. Yeah. And so that's what this lawsuit's about. This is 25 states. So literally 50% of all the states in the U.S., whether it's conventionally red or blue, it doesn't matter, has saying, look, you're hurting our older people's ability to live. And so we want you to stop this. It's too early to see where this will go. Based upon what's happened with our current administration and the way they react to this is I'm pretty sure they'll back down. I don't think it'll go all the way to court. They'll come back. But this is something, you know, our older generation shouldn't well, have over to. over half of the country is coming after you, you would think they would back down. <laughs> yeah. you would but think. you know, our older generation who have worked for 20, 25, 30 years should not have to worry about their retirement. And they definitely shouldn't have to worry that our own government is screwing up their retirement funds. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, what does that say about the other people that are about to retire? Yeah. So that's very scary stuff. All right, so speaking of Biden, Biden to support ConocoPhillips Alaska oil project defying greens. 
I love this. This is what our current administration should be doing. And in the spirit of negotiation between two different sides that don't see eye to eye on hydrocarbons, they've actually scaled it back. So they're not stopping it, right? They're letting it go through, but they're going to scale it back. And this is a Willow project. This is the northwest part of Alaska. This is going to be allow us to bring all those heavy complex crews down to the refineries in the Gulf Coast. And this is just a mess because now the environmentalists are having a conniption fit that they're even let this thing go through. People, look at how much you're paying for electricity. Look at how much you're paying for food. That is all a direct correlation to how much everybody's having to pay for energy. The world is still in an energy shortage, and we can fix it. Literally, the U.S. by itself. Right. We have enough hydrocarbons that we can fix it. Here's a project to help bring those hydrocarbons to market, environmentally responsible, in a way that benefits everybody. And yet a lot of people on the anti-oil and gas movement are having a conniption fit because they let this project go through at a scaled-back way. So I just this is utterly ridiculous. This just goes to show how if you're trying to make things better for the people and you have your own political agenda that doesn't jive with making human life better, that you end up doing things that just make zero sense. And this is one of those. You know you're aging yourself by saying condition fit, right? I don't think <laughs> half of our audience even knows what that means. Oh, whoa, producer Audrey knows. Just kidding. I don't know. I'm just assuming. Anyway, so more oil is coming. Say it again. More oil is coming. <laughs> About time. Right. <laughs> what great news. So regardless of what our current administration is doing and other governments are trying to do, you've heard me say this for years, and it's 100% true. The market has more influence on hydrocarbon consumption and production than anything else, including politics. So this is an analysis done by Wood McKenzie. Shout out to those guys who know them very well, showing that expiration dollars are the highest in over 10 years. And you go, well, Mark, what does that have to do with producing more oil? Right. Before you can produce oil, you have to find it. Yes. Right. And what has happened for the last decade is we haven't been spending as much money exploring for new reservoirs. And this, let me make something really clear here. Nobody and no company and no country has ever spent the money to map all the existing reservoirs in the world. That's a waste of money. What they do is they map the reservoirs they need in the near future, next five or 10 years. And then every year the technology gets better. So we're able to use technology to find reservoirs that are there, but we just couldn't see them a couple of years ago. Right. So because the industry globally is spending more money on exploration, they're identifying more reservoirs, which means the next step is there'll be more oil and gas projects, especially offshore, which will then increase production. It looks like there's over 2,000 new discoveries of high-quality hydrocarbons that have been made in the last year, a lot of them outside the U.S. And you've heard me say this before, if we don't get our political game right in the U.S., we're going to push the oil and gas industry outside the U.S. And, and if you look at where the dollars are being spent for exploration, a lot of it's going to Africa, a lot of it's going to the Mediterranean, not here in the Gulf Coast, not off the Atlantic, which is, would be nice to have those jobs here. But since the money's being spent, the next thing to happen, and we'll be talking about this in about eight months, is you'll start seeing blocks being awarded, and then a few months later, projects being kicked off. And two years, two or three years now, we'll be talking about hydrocarbons being produced from these exact discoveries that were made just this year. Right on. Okay. On a high note, what Exxon and Chevron are doing with those big profits? So, first thing, I really hate when they talk about stuff, Exxon and Chevron, big profits. It is true they've had record profits. In fact, both of them have had their best year ever in their history of their company. And that makes you think that, hey, these guys should be doing something else with their profits. What you have to understand is they're not a charity. These mm -hmm. companies are for-profit companies. They have shareholders, they have employees. And even though they're making record profits now, they've lost money for the last 11 years, Right. 
This industry is extremely cyclic. So we go from making money to losing money. Anybody that works in the industry knows exactly what I'm talking about. So talking about these record profits, like there's something that should have a windfall tax or something that's not correct is just wrong. And the reason world that we're having record profits is because we're in an energy shortage caused by our own politicians. Yeah. Now, what would normally happen with these record profits is they would do a lot of uses for a lot of growth projects. But because of the financial constraint that, th- that we've all learned as an industry, no matter, even if the price of oil hits $200 a barrel, we're not going to grow like crazy. We're going to grow where it makes profitable sense. The other thing is there's so many variables. I love it. Mike Worth, who's Chevron CEO, who I've heard listens to the show, is talking about the uncertainty in the future. And when you have an uncertain future and you run a business, what do you do? You don't spend money like crazy. Exactly. Right? You hang on to it. Right. And now he doesn't name it here, but when you talk about the uncertainty in the future, one of the big things that's uncertain is politics, especially here in the U.S. The other big uncertainty, of course, is what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and also what's going on in the politics in Europe. So companies have promised their investors and their shareholders and their employees that they're going to take this money and use it responsibly to grow and also to weather any storms that are coming. So what they're doing with these record profits is they're doing the right thing that any business would do. And this is what allows us to have a steady supply of cheap hydrocarbons so we can level out these swings and hopefully in the next year and a half get the world out of this energy shortage we're in. All right. Shout out to Western Colorado University that just came over and took a picture with us. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Veronica. All right. So the next one is Norway's fossil fuel bonanza stokes and passion debate about how best to spend its war profits. War profits, <laughs> really. That's what we're going to call this, war profits. Mm. So what's going on is, if you don't know the history, Norway was the first to recognize the financial benefits of North Sea. Norway actually convinced the rest of Europe to let them have access to the, most of the North Sea. They've made money for years. And let me tell you, you know, I talk about deep water, ultra deep water. I love the offshore world. Norwegians, especially the operators and technology companies, they're the ones that figured out how to do this deep water. It's wild. Yeah, in an environment that is absolutely anti-life, right? Huge seas, freezing temperatures. There's some of the best in the world out there. And so Norway also realized that the hydrocarbons that they're pulling out and the profits that they're making actually belong to the people of Norway. So they have That's a sovereign admirable. fund, right? Yeah. So think of it as a savings account. So Norway has a savings account that the profits of their oil and gas business go into, and it's set for the people of Norway. And I love how this is set up. Now, of course, what's happening in the social media world and the people that don't like the oil and gas industry is they're calling this war profits. They're saying these profits are being caused by the war between Russia and Ukraine, which is not true. If you listen to me for any length of time, I told you last November we're headed to energy shortage. The war in Ukraine and Russia just sped it up a little bit. It was happening already. Yeah, I'm sure everybody can hear me rolling my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) And so what's happening is there's this huge debate on whether Norway should take these record profits, just like I talked about earlier with Exxon and, and Chevron, and take these record profits and dump it more into renewables or do social programs with it. And once again, no, it needs to go into their sovereign investment fund. They need to manage it like they always had. It's a pool of investments they manage so that when the pendulum swings and the industry isn't doing as well as it's doing right now, the people of Norway still benefit from it. And I've been to Norway a whole bunch of times. I love the people over there. You know, as an American, I'm not super comfortable with their socialist government, but it works for them. And I'll tell you this much, Paige. It's the only country I've ever been to other than Korea where there's free high-speed Wi-Fi everywhere. 
where you literally can walk everywhere. They have tremendous infrastructure, and it's really cool. Education is free. University education is free over there. Yeah. Medical care is free because they have all this wealth. And if they don't manage this wealth, all this will disappear from Norwegian citizens. I have a you know, issue with CNBC calling this the war profits. It's not war profits. It's sound investment profits. They just want clicks on their article, yep. and we just gave them one. So anyway, OPEC Plus Committee recommends no change in oil output policy at virtual meeting. Yes. Yeah, so what does that mean? That means OPEC is trying to keep prices high at the current rate that they are right now. And the reason they're doing that is because it benefits OPEC. Mm. Now, what's happening is demand is starting to go up because China's opened up post-COVID. If you see the prices for jet fuel, for diesel, for chicken eggs, actually chicken eggs, <laughs> chicken eggs are another story, but the prices are going up. They're trying to make sure that they keep supply at a point that prices stay high so they stay profitable. At the same time, the sanctions against Russia are capping prices so Russia can make just enough money, which I believe that caps $65 a barrel. So Russia can make just enough money that it makes it profitable to keep their oil on the market, but not enough money to fund their war machine. OPEC, you know, this article talks about OPEC plus, which is usually OPEC and Russia. Yeah. I really think that relationship between Russia and OPEC is disintegrating and will disappear. But what OPEC is doing is saying, look, we're not going to increase output at our next meeting because we don't think it's time yet. Whenever they think it's time, when they see enough future demand coming down the road, they'll increase output to maximize profits. If I was OPEC, this is the exact same thing I'd be doing. Interesting. Okay, so the next article is Valero JV approves sustainable aviation fuel project at Texas plant. Ooh, How cool is this? That's really cool. Right? So one of the big things with all the airlines right now is they're really big on wanting to run sustainable fuel. Think of sustainable airline fuel as, as biodiesel, you know, the same French fry oil, plant-based type of stuff where you can make it. There's a bunch of companies out there that are doing it. Some of them actually are doing it really well. All of the airlines have bought into this. Now, no airline's running at 100% on sustainable fuel. It's, it's a small percentage, but it's going down the right, you know, right route. And here's Valero, who's one of my favorite downstream companies because they do something nobody else does. I'm still not sure how they pull it off. But Valero will take an old mothball refinery, they'll buy it, and they'll go in and retrofit it, and they'll buy the sourest crude on the market, the stuff no other refinery wants. And somehow Valero does it in terms of profit. <laughs> so if anybody can turn a profit on French fry oil for aviation fuel, it's Valero. And I think it's really cool that this plant's being built in Texas. Now, the reason it's being built in Texas is that we're such a oil and gas business-friendly state. It just makes sense. It's also being built in Port Arthur because as this renewable diesel plant grows, their sustainable aviation fuel, they need to be able to export it. And what better way to export it than to be in one of the best ports in the U.S.? Right. So this is just an extension of Valero's liquid fuel manufacturing expertise, which showing how they grow through renewables, which is really what the world needs. You know, the renewable energy, you know, sitting here, I've had this discussion 10 times in eight. The renewable industry and the oil and gas industry need to quit bickering amongst themselves and realize that they have the same goals, the same problems. They need to come together. And here is a literally tried and true oil and gas refinery, a downstream company that is producing renewable aviation fuel. To me, this is a perfect merger of, of the two worlds, and I want to see more of this. Okie doke. Baker Hughes unveils new digital solutions for more intelligent operations and cleaner energy. Hey, all my people at Baker Hughes, how was Florence? They were in Florence. Oh, did they do Florence again? So this was the first time they've had their annual meeting in person since the pandemic. They were in Italy for the annual meeting, and this is when they introduced their digital solutions. Now, if you've paid any attention to the oil and gas industry, especially the service companies, in the last six years, 
all of them have digital in their solutions name. All of them have efficiency in their name. All of them have sustainability. But this is a little bit different. So what's going on here is this is a bunch of small, different technology solutions they put together, especially around things like asset management and performance and things like process optimization. So think of a bunch of small technology tools you lump together. And what's really cool about this is now you have the reach and the domain expertise of Baker Hughes, and they're bringing in these technologies to help drive efficiencies around actual production. So this isn't academia. This isn't in vitro. This isn't in the lab. This is real results from real stuff out in the field, kind of rubber hit the road, mm -hmm. which is what the world really needs. And then, you know, a shout out to our buddies at Corva because Baker Hughes also announced in Florence, they're collaborating Corva who does for digital offerings to enhance rig, vi vi rig visualization. Ooh, get <laughs> and, it out. Decision making. <laughs> so how cool is it that we watch Corva grow up and now they're part of Baker Hughes. Oh, they're Hughes. not babies anymore. Not babies anymore. <laughs> we used to have a happy hours actually in their office. Yeah, I know. So this is just going to help Baker Hughes customers drill better, produce more, have more intelligent insight to their operations, which once again, then means we have cleaner operations, safer operations, and we drive efficiencies, which means we can provide more energy for the same amount of work, which is just good for the world. Rock on. Okay, so final article chevron's fifth and six cargoes of venezuelan oils soon to depart i love this we talked about this earlier if you know the history venezuelan nationalized their oil field they kicked everybody out which is not good for their oil business their oil business cratered then their economy cratered I mean, it got it's still really horrible over there for literally people can't buy baby food they're trading crude oil for rice and beans to try to feed their people. There's no medical supplies. And what they need, and they sit on an abundant amount of very high-quality, heavy crude. And so what's happening is the U.S. government, and I'll give props to our current administration because it's deserved, has allowed Chevron to experiment and transport some of that Venezuelan oil back to the U.S. Those two super tankers have already offloaded. The crude was high-quality. They're going to make money off this. So here's the second set. So oh, I'm not sorry, second set. Here's the fifth and sixth set of tankers going over to Venezuela to pick up that heavy crude. And what's cool about this is Petrovesa, which is a nationalized oil company, is going to take learn a lot from Chevron. They get a lot of Chevron's expertise. And oh, then good. As, as our government releases or relaxes sanctions, then companies like Chevron can start investing back into the Venezuela oil and gas industry, which is only to help the Venezuelan economy. If you're listening from Venezuela, number one, I've been to your country. It is literally one of the most beautiful countries on the planet, the foods to die for. But please, if we get this thing back up and running for y'all, please pay attention to your political leaders and the corruption. Let's not let this thing go south again, because that's literally what happened the first time. The U.S. and Venezuela should be friends, should be partners. Let us buy your crude. We need it. Let us put money in your pockets. And then let us come hang out there on the beaches. Yeah. Oh, speaking of politics, so we're at NAEP. We just launched oil and gas geopolitics with Jordan Driscoll. I am so excited about this. Now, I don't want to hear anybody, you know, complain that we're talking about politics because we have a whole podcast dedicated to it. So if you're really into it, go check it out. There's three episodes ready. I'm excited. Yeah, and then for all those people that's given us grief for talking about politics on this show, we got one up on you. We just created another show about <laughs> politics. So you can choose to Take listen care. to that one or not. And Paige, <laughs> as long as politics are important to the oil and gas industry, we're going to continue to talk about it. Well, we have to because regulation exists. Yeah. But I am going to back off a little bit and some of the stuff that Jordan covers and let him cover it in depth. He's much more of an expert in geopolitics than I am. He's funny as all hell. 
His show is explicit, so if you listen to his show and you have kids around, just know. <laughs> but it's a great show. So actually, we'll make sure to put a link in the show notes. If you like this show, if you like Oil & Gas this week, go listen to Oil & Gas Geopolitics. You're going to love it. All right, so let's get into the rig count. As of February 2nd, United States is at 771, no change. Canada's at 247, up six. Internationally, we're at 900, down 10. All good numbers. Also, what's good numbers is advertising with us. Hey, if you would advertise with us, you might be here right now at NAEP on the podcast talking to some really cool people. Go to OGGN.com, hit the pricing page. Everything's up there. We have every offering you could possibly imagine. We love to help our listeners make money and get some exposure. Yeah. Speaking of exposure, which is not a weird thing to say out loud in a conference, if you want to get exposed to our monthly oil and gas That took me a moment. I'm not going to lie. The link's also in the show notes. And then if you'd like myself, any of our experts page to come do something like maybe a live podcast at your conference, reach out. We'll be happy to share the details. And then First Friday's Q&A is coming up. If you'd like your question asked, go to oilandgasthisweek.com or OGG.com. Both places you can submit a question. If we use your question on the air, you're going to get a big shout out. And for this week, we're not going to have a behind the curtain because we're running close on time. Yeah. So you ready to get out of here? Yes, I'm exhausted. Remember, folks, do great work. Pay it for it. And we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.